You're listening to the Rogers Sporting Goods Podcast with Patrick Fisher, Chandler Smith, and Josh from Outdoor Limits. In this podcast, we'll touch on everything from gear to ducks to deer, turkey and fishing. From field to table, let's dive in. Turkey season's done, Chandler. Mm-hmm. For us. It's all over with. He didn't bag Did one, I though. tell you? Oh, well, I'm not going to tell that story on here. <laughs> but if you know that story. No, you, you can tell that story. That's a great story. I can make it a story. PG story. Yeah, make it a PG story. So everybody's got a hunting story. Well, I would imagine everybody's got an A story like this. Mine just usually happens during hunting. So, uh, so we go out, uh, I guess it would have been not this last weekend, so the weekend before. Uh, so it was the second weekend of turkey season. And and so it was kind of my turn. Uh, we went out opening day and the wife got one. And uh, so then we went out uh, this, whatever, little over a week ago. And uh, we get in there and like on the way up to the farm, like my stomach, I was like, oh my gosh, it's not good. Well, we get everything set up. I get the, the decoy set up, set the chairs out. We're sitting there, and it's like peak time. Gobbles going off on the roost. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, uh oh. And I and it's like right time, you know. You never know. Like Tom's just gonna fly down right into the decoys, and the sun. It was just shooting time, like ten minutes into the, you know, shooting time. I'm like. I've got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and the wife goes, just run to the truck and, uh, you know, whatever, find some napkins or toilet paper or something. So I ran across the cornfield just sprinting, <laughs> which is which is even worse because you're trying to keep everything internal while you're running to the truck. But get into the truck. We don't have anything. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I dive into the woods and... That was all she wrote. I I used my T-shirt. <laughs> it was bad. Anyway, so now I'm tired. I'm like, ugh. And I go all the way back, uh, sit down, like 40 minutes go by, 40, 45 minutes. Came back, hit me again. She's like, let's just pack up and go home. <laughs> I was like, we're out. Yeah. It was bad. Yeah, that was your last turkey but experience. That was it. That's how I ended my season was uh, duty drawers. <laughs> but whatever. It's lesson learned. But it was a good season yeah. overall. I mean, uh, son, you got one. Mm-hmm. Chandler, lucky enough, got uh, to go to Texas. Oh, cool. And yeah, got West Texas and shot two Rios out there. Nice. Yeah. But I didn't actually tag one in Missouri, though. Mm. No eastern in Missouri. Did you you went out a couple times? Mm-hmm. Though. Did you take your? Was it your brother? My brother. Yeah. Yeah. Trying we, to get him got, on one. We got on him, but yeah, we never we didn't. Did you do some like public mm-hmm. land? No. Yeah. Around this area. Yeah, we got on some birds. You can get on some birds up there at Smithville. Yeah, I know. Some decent spots. Yeah, you can find them up there. But a lot of were you. Uh, when you went, 
and you've been to Smithfield before to do is that where you went or yeah um are you doing more run and gun calling since it's more public or no are you doing we, we brought we brought decoys out um you kind of set up in a spot you already knew mm-hmm. okay yeah yeah there's an area i know of and yeah there's just no they're kind of in that Quit spot, Patrick. Quit, quit asking him for a spot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you want to? Well, if you want to go, know. Pat, I'll, if you I'll take you there. If you could drop me a pin, <laughs> I love it, man. Pat just totally puts it on blast where he hunts every single time. <laughs> well, Smithville's a big area. Not yeah. really. <laughs> well, I mean, well, there's just a lot of areas there. I mean, I've gone all over the lake and before season and and found and found birds in all sorts of different areas. So it can't be done, and it's. Potentially, you could use the water to get in on the backside and access. That's cool, yeah. So, Potentially, hypothetically. Yeah. He used to have a neighbor that went deer hunting a lot, and he took his yeah. canoe out, and he would do get into these back areas of Smithville, and he always got an awesome deer. Mm-hmm. Get into these spots, no one's around, you know. Yeah. You're not 10 yards off the road. Yeah. I've been there before. The sun no. comes up, and we're like, oh, shoot. Uh, we might as well get out of here. Yeah. We're sitting 10 hunters around us. But, but I mean, I, the place I was at, I, you had six gobblers around. They just yeah. didn't cooperate. A couple mornings went out because we were just weekend warriors, you know. But So, yeah. Pat, who are we with? Well, today, so we brought in uh, – I guess we're calling you Nick, but Nicholas Oakley from the MDC. He's the. Uh, are you the state turkey biologist? Yeah, from that's Missouri. Right. Yep. yep. State um, turkey and rough grouse. Biologist. And rough grouse yep. biologist from the Missouri Department of Con- Conservation. Um, as always, we've got Chandler down on the end. Yep. And Josh, as well, to my right. Yeah, he's bringing the Kansas and, point uh, of view. That's right. And uh, Hayden behind the. The cameras, oh, yeah. making sure everything's online, and me, Patrick. About um, with turkey season just wrapping up, so we've kind of been working on this. I thought it would be a, um, a good idea uh, to bring in Nick um, and get his point of view on, uh, you know, the statewide turkey population, talk about turkey hunting in general, and uh, – Every spring it comes up. It's a big topic of discussion. There's a million point of views out there. Um, so we want to get his side of it, obviously our side of it, and just have a a turkey discussion. And, and really it's just a just another way to spread knowledge on, on maybe some things that people don't know or haven't heard of. And, and I already told Nick, I said, I'm going to play devil's advocate <laughs> yeah. something on him here. So. Um, but it's a good way to wrap up the turkey season that we just had. So you want to start with the, kind of see where we're going. The numbers, and then we'll yeah. kind of go backwards. I uh-huh. guess. What's, what's, what do we? How do yeah. we do this season? How was Nick? this year? Yeah. So this year, uh, and I got my cheat sheet in front of me because uh, the numbers came out on on Tuesday. But um, we shot about forty four thousand five hundred turkeys in Missouri this year overall. Uh, during the spring season, it was closer to forty two thousand, uh, and then the youth they, they shot about twenty five hundred. Uh, so putting that into context, um, that's quite a bit better, about 20% better than last year, okay. uh, and even a little bit better than than a, the year before. Uh, but overall, you know, if you if you if you go back to the you know the 
the peak, the prime time of turkey hunting in Missouri. That had been maybe the, the mid 2000s. Uh, in 2004, uh, Missourians shot a little over 60,000 turkeys. Oh, geez. So, you know, 40,000 is a good number. And, it, and you know, 45 is, is a number that perhaps folks can be, if not happy about, at least think, you know, we're doing okay. Uh, when you compare it to 60,000, certainly uh, there was a time where there was more mm -hmm. turkeys killed in Missouri. Um, from my perspective, I think 60,000 was kind of one of those inflated um, boom cycles, right? So mm -hmm. as you look across the southeast, you've seen, and most of the Midwest, you've seen turkey populations go from almost none to these big peaks, right, as birds are moved around the country, moved around states. And then almost predictably in every state, uh, and it's a, it's a timeline uh, where you can see states that where birds were moved to at about the same time, they're going through about the same period of, of population decline. Um, so that's really what we're confronted with right now is, is how, how, where's the bottom essentially? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think we get back to 60,000 birds harvested. Um, I don't think that would be a realistic goal, but I think uh, there's certainly room for improvement. So, you know, maybe this is the, the, the first step in that direction uh, after several years of a fairly, again, for Missouri, poor hunting. Um, so. Yeah, but overall pretty successful year. Yeah. Um, and so I think I would attribute that to uh, to a couple of things. Um, number one is the weather was excellent. We didn't have any real rain out days. There wasn't a whole period, three or four days in a row where we got rain. Uh, for the most part, across the entire state, you could hunt any day this season. It was a little windy certain mornings, no yeah. doubt. Um, yeah. But the weather was very good. Um, and so I think that absolutely probably goosed the, goosed the harvest numbers. But we're also coming off of a year of relative stability, or, or three years of relative stability as far as the, the hatch quality and production goes. Um, we measure that using our spring brood survey, which which anyone can participate in. Uh, we, we collect data from, from anyone, uh, June, July, and August. And uh, what that does is that gives us kind of an index of how, uh, the, the quality of the hatch, essentially. So as you go back again, and I don't wanna, I don't wanna try and zoom back out all the time, but uh, we started collecting these data in 1959, which would have put Missouri way on the front edge of, of collecting those data. Some states still don't really collect it. Um, you know, production, the, the number of poults each hen is producing on average was on the increase. Uh, and it, at, as the production was increasing, you saw the harvest increase, which makes sense, right? Hens are producing more, more poults, more birds are, are alive to be harvested. Well, that also started to decline in the 90s to a point where in 2016 and 2017, our production hit the lowest level that we'd ever recorded at less than a pulp per hen. Now the last three years, that production has been a little more stable at around a pulp per hen. Uh, and so I think coming out of that that dip, that low spot, uh, is one of the reasons in addition to the weather that, that perhaps there's a few more birds out there to be harvested. Yeah. Um, well, to take us, uh, before we really dive into this, so obviously, uh, you're the the turkey biologist, but how? So, how long have you been with MDC now? And kind of take us like, uh, you know, uh, how you get into it. Uh, you know, where you studied at, where you came from. So, sure. kind of have a background. Yeah. So, mine would be. Uh, it started out the very cliche, prototypical. Grew up in a rural community. My parents had 75 acres at which I could just wander around as a kid. Um, I largely taught myself to hunt. Uh, we would have the, the opening deer season weekend with, uh, with my dad's brothers and, and my cousins would come out and there'd be 10 hunters on 75 acres. I mean, mm, like, you can, 
a Quite little a bit tight. Of, yeah. A yeah. little tight. You uh you definitely we had a map, so like here is where everyone's hunting. Like as you're sitting here, you know, you can't shoot that way. So right. we tried to have a safety briefing, but yeah. Needless to say, there were not a lot of deer killed uh, during those weekends. Um, <laughs> it was a little hectic out there. Yeah. Um, but I'd come home after school and grab my bow and spend the last two hours of the evening in the in the bow stand, and so I sort of sort of fell in love with it that way. Uh, turkey hunting, I had I had almost no mentorship. It was not something that anyone I I really grew up with was that passionate about. Um, I think I was probably a product of watching the Outdoor Channel as a kid. Uh, you know, watching people. Uh, you know the primoses and, and things of the, uh, those people those those figures go out and shoot turkeys in the spring and it got me got me excited so i my dad had a box call that i think he got on a trade or something for some service that he right. that he rendered so i just went out there in my carhartt overalls and my box call and i just started yelping away yeah uh, and the first time a, a, a gobbler responded i was like oh my god this, this is, is working so exciting yeah and mm -hmm. then i proceeded to of course blow that um and for a couple years after that because i had no idea what i was doing um, slowly upgraded my kit, added a little more camo, added a little more expertise, learned how to use a pot call and, and a diaphragm, and and then finally uh, finally got that first bird. I was probably 14 or so, um, but that was exciting, right? So that yeah. was that kind of that kind of built into me this notion that like, man, I'd love to work outside. It'd be interesting. I don't I don't think at that point I knew that such a thing as uh, a wildlife biologist even existed. But when I started digging into you know the University of Missouri, I sort of I was a half committed to going there before I even, you know, started looking around and I, and I noticed they had a, a wildlife biology degree, you know, as an offering. So I thought, okay, let's try that. And, uh, loved it. I mean, the classes were really interesting. I really remember going out. Uh, well, yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I diverged from the sort of the standard state Turkey biologist approach. I took my first ornithology class and I was like, Oh, I want to do bird research. And so I actually, most of my early work was in doing songbird studies. So there's a, a great program in Southern Missouri, a project in Southern Missouri, where they're looking at how um, forest management practices affect pretty much everything uh, as far as like the, the wildlife goes, but there was a bird, bird component to that. So that was my first job. I went down there and just got to hang out all summer looking, looking for birds in the woods and listening for birds. Uh, and that really, once I graduated undergrad, uh, I just sort of followed that around. So I did the five plus years of traveling throughout most, mostly the Western United States, just trying to find those six month positions. I worked with uh, some raptors. I worked with spotted owls. I worked with uh, a bird that lived on an island off the coast of San Diego for a while. Hmm. Did a little work with uh, like desert tortoises down by uh, Las Vegas. Uh, just enjoyed it, but then started to get a little burned out um, kind of on that, that temporary, that ephemeral lifestyle. Yeah. So I ended up meeting uh, uh, my now wife at one of our our field uh, jobs, and she ended up taking a grad position at the University of Wyoming. So I was left with the decision to like sort of hang on and, and continue with the the field work lifestyle, or, or try and go there and make something make something work. Uh, so I went there, and uh, lo and behold, ended up running into a professor who was looking for a, a, a grad student. And so we, we worked something out. Uh, at that point, I was working. I had just been hired as a lifty at a ski resort, so I was not looking forward to that $9 an hour paycheck to mm. go freeze my butt off on top <laughs> of a windy mountain in Wyoming. Uh, mm -hmm. So he's like, hey, I've got a project starting up. You'll have to go to Ecuador this winter to, to start collecting data. Oh. And I thought, oh, oh, yeah, okay. Let me yeah. get my bags. Yeah, let me, <laughs> let, me, let me think yes. The answer is yes. Uh -huh. So, uh, so I, ended up, I ended up studying 
Uh, for my graduate work, it was a behavioral ecology project where I studied the, the courtship behavior of the golden-winged mannequin, which uh, I always make the joke is very much a David Attenborough-esque, uh, <laughs> you know, the female approaches the male on the display log yeah. and that sort of thing. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but I, uh, One of them documentaries. Exactly. Hear that. Exactly. Yes. Uh, but it taught me a lot about ecology. I taught, I, I was the TA for uh, population ecology courses and general ecology courses, so I learned a lot through that, uh, in addition to kind of the analytical side of the field, which I think probably goes uh, unremarked upon whenever the, the young kids are excited to, to, do, to do biology. The, the reality is you spend a lot of time in front of a computer uh, and a lot less time out under the trees. But, uh, but yeah, I learned, uh, learned a lot there. Uh, then my wife, again, wanted to move, and so we ended up Back in Missouri, she found a job with the Department of Conservation as one of their wildlife health uh, specialists. And uh, sure enough, uh, I got a job working uh, at, at the beginning. I, I worked as, a, as an hourly for our waterfowl biologist. And then I, I got a job fairly quickly thereafter as the science assistant in the game and regulations unit. So I worked and helped um, all of our kind of statewide game species biologists do uh, odds and ends projects. I had a pretty large role in the, in the grouse reintroduction effort once I came on uh, to that project. Uh, I helped a fair bit whenever we were transitioning between two different fur bear and bear biologists, so I helped with our spring um, um, den checks and things like that. Um, and then whenever, the, whenever the, the previous biologist decided to leave to get closer to home, uh, I decided uh, I'd like to apply at least for this turkey biologist job that I, I didn't know if I'd even have a competitive application, frankly. And, uh, yeah, luckily enough, here I am a year later, just about. This was my first spring turkey season as the biologist, so there's a, it's been a whirlwind, that's for sure. You had them Ecuadorian bird on your resume, and they're mm-hmm. like, that's the guy. That's our guy. <laughs> that's, that's our guy. That's the guy. He, he'd take a chance. Yeah. <clears throat> that's cool. So it's been, you said, what, three years now? About three years. Yeah. Yep. Okay. About maybe four now. It, it, gotcha. That kind of runs together. It yeah. was... BC before COVID when I started. So yeah, yes. coming mm-hmm. on four yeah. years. And before you, it was... Um, uh, yeah, her name was Raina Tile. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So if anybody's listening, you're, um, maybe you remember her as the turkey biologist. And so she moved, what, back to Pennsylvania, you said? Yep. So. Yep. She's okay. now Pennsylvania gotcha. Game Commission's rough gotcha. grouse biologist. All right. All right. Um, yeah. So the big, the big thing, I guess, as we dive in and we might right veer off here you know and if you guys got a question or something just throw it out because you know me i don't stop talking so um but the big thing like i i guess this is no one's disputing this part of it but the the turkey population in general um is on a decline or is declined from where it's been from the Um, from the peak or from the peak like you know, the eye test, like I tell myself, like if I drive from here to Iowa along I-35 compared to when I was a kid in the mid nineties, late nineties, where I can remember, you know, just the eye test alone. Seeing turkeys. Yeah. I mean, it was field after field. You would just see turkeys. Um, You do that now. Honestly, I don't know the last time I saw a turkey driving from here to my farm in a field. you know, at least in this area. But, um, yeah, so like you said, I thought it was great uh, when we were talking previously, mm. like someone would call you up and be like, hey, do you know, That's right. as the turkey buzz, you do realize they're uh, on a decline. 
why yes 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 i do <laughs> that has come thank up. you um you know so so as we sit here today and discuss all this and obviously there's a million opinions and different viewpoints and um so we're going to try to dive into a lot of that um about the turkey population where it stands the efforts um where we want to be things like that so um you know, just kind of off the bat, um, some of the things, you know, I'd like to talk about are like the causes, um, things like that. Um, I know one, um, well, we'll just, we'll bounce all over the place, but like one would be like habitat loss. Mm -hmm. So like, um, and I could see that obviously like in my mind at the simplest viewpoint is um, with the habitat loss, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, like CRP and, and that type of management or, um, forestry and, and timber management and things like that is, um, towns are growing mm -hmm. and there's more acquisition of land and it's turned into warehouses and it's turned, you know, you just look around we're expanding, right? So it's less land, um, just in general, um, but yeah, let's talk about like the habitat portion of it, um, kind of what you're seeing from the state level and, and you know, where things are and why that's one of the things that's, you know, in this decline. Sure. Yeah. And so specifically when we're thinking about habitat and, I, and maybe I'll zoom out a little bit and talk mm -hmm. about where we think kind of. Right. So the overall population has declined or is declining. And a lot of that depends on where you are kind of in that restoration timeline. Right. Missouri, I'd say we've gone through the boom and the bust, right? So either we've bottomed out or we've started to bounce back. I think, you know, I think that's where we're at. Now, in five years, that may look like a, a horrible prediction or, or, or take mm -hmm. on things. But but looking at things, you know, the last five years, we've had lower, you know, lower but stable harvests, right? So maybe we've, maybe we've bottomed out. So what they've looked at is what's changed as far as like turkey demographics. And what I mean about demographics or, or, or um, vital rates are just like, so like are adults not surviving as long? And that doesn't seem to be the truth. Um, you know, our nest size is smaller. It doesn't seem that way. Our nest success is lower a little bit. Um, our pole, is pole survival lower a little bit. So whenever you really kind of zoom in on what's What's changed between 1980, for example, and, and 2015, uh, it looks like it's that production number has declined. And that's what we see in our production uh, data set from, from those brood surveys, and that's what we see in the research. So when we're talking about habitat, it's not necessarily that all the habitat has gone away. It's that that, that nesting and brood rearing habitat has changed or, 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 or degraded, or we've lost it. So whenever, whenever you're driving through down, down the road, you know, whenever, whenever you're thinking about brood habitat, it's really specific. So it tends to be either a woodland with a, with a very ro robust herbaceous layer. So you've got like the, the sunflowers in the forest, you know, not sunflowers, but like coneflowers in the forest and a nice grass layer, um, you know, stands somewhere between knee high and waist high. You know, that's brood habitat and you just don't see it. I look everywhere I go. I probably shouldn't say this uh, publicly, but when I'm driving the state truck, I'm as often looking at the road as I'm looking out the window mm -hmm. and you just don't see it. And I think one of the things that that people that I hear a lot is like, hey, man, nothing's changed. I haven't done anything to my property in 30 years. Nothing has changed. And I was like, by doing nothing, things have changed, of course. Right. The trees have gotten larger. The canopies have closed in. Right. We're not getting as much sunlight to the forest floor. And by doing that, we're choking out uh, that important herbaceous layer, that forb layer and grass layer. And that's that really prime broodering habitat. And I think that's 
a big reason why things have, have declined. Um, and that lack of habitat, I think, is kind of the root of all the things that I suspect we're going to talk about later, right? Um, a hen has fewer places to take her brood. She has fewer, she, the places that, that she can take her brood are further away from that brood or, or from that nesting habitat. You know, anything that, that tilts the scale against uh, a poult is going to be bad news for that poult. Because already, even, even in the best of cases, uh, it's hard to be a turkey egg or a turkey poult on the landscape. Yeah, so that habitat, so that nesting area, so what you're saying is the that undergrowth, that mm -hmm. that area, you know, is, uh, what are we saying, almost waist high, you know, knee high, waist high. But yep. that's, that they're going to use that as their cover. Their cover. To nest. Yep. Um, it's going to be that's a bug factory. Like. Yeah. Right. And so I think you brought up a good point, like not doing anything, um, well, is changing still. Absolutely. So, um, and is that where, like, you see uh, with like forest management, you come in and you take out some certain trees and you keep that um, without them canopies closing, mm -hmm. closing <laughs> off. There you go. Um, you get that sunlight down yep. into the the forest floor, so yep. things can grow and different. If or, I could, if I could make a statewide prescription. For privately managed lands, it would be to use your chainsaw and drip torch a, a heck of a lot more than you currently are. Yeah, take out trees, thin that, thin that, um, thin that that forest. We call it a woodland restoration. Uh, you mm -hmm. can do that through harvest. You know, we go in and select trees to cut to, to sell, or you just go in and do timber stand improvement rear. You know, those those 25 year old maple trees that don't have much value to wildlife, cut them down. They're just they're just shading out all the good the good mm -hmm. um, the good ground. That sort of thing. Yeah, and Josh, this, Josh, you got any uh, turkeys on the in your family's Missouri farm? No, we don't. No, you don't. Do you have any like areas like that that would be that potentially could be, you know, nesting or, or roosting habitat potentially? A little bit, not little much bit, though. It's a lot of crop ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and probably surrounded by other crop ground. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't know if you did or not. So that's another uh, an interesting thing to bring up, um, and I would. Uh, Absolutely encourage everyone to do everything they can, even if you've got a small piece of property. But but a hen's going to have a, a home range of five, seven thousand acres. So you know you may not have the exact right habitat for nesting or brood rearing. Um, you maybe yours is better served as, as winter ground, right, where we've got the mature mass-producing uh, species. Um, but it, it takes it takes a lot of space to to grow a turkey. You know they use different types of habitat throughout the year. Um, so it's it's it can be complex. It, it's not one of those things where you can just you can just flip a switch or, or do do something small and make a big difference. Uh, it takes it takes kind of a communal effort, and and I think that's. And this would be yeah. different from turkey to deer. So like you see people uh, when they go in and do they do like hinge cutting to create more of these bedding areas and habitats for deer. So if you're like a deer hunter. You know, that's kind of what you do. But you wouldn't do that for turkeys. Hinge cutting actually is drowning out that nesting area. Like turkeys wouldn't benefit from hinge cutting. They would probably nest. Um, and if you did like a, an extensive hinge cut, they, they may nest in that. But that would not be good broodering habitat. Right. Yep. So I just, in case someone was yep. listening, was like, well, I do hinge cutting. Yep. But I think what you're talking about is, is getting rid yep. of... Yep. some trees yeah. and then doing the burning. Like so I the, see a lot of people mm -hmm. do the burning. So that does a couple of things that 
sort of top kills the woody vegetation it won't it won't kill it all right and next year it'll come back and then you burn again in a year or two and then that top kills it again but uh yeah and then it also kind of stimulates that herbaceous growth so when you run fire through it'll it'll take the leaf leaf litter off and that allows you know the sun to hit the bare ground and then that's whenever stuff blows up and the idea you know the way i try and envision it in my head is that you need to the vegetation needs to be tall enough that a poult can hide in it but short enough that a hen can see over it, right? They're visual, they're visual animals. If they can see 100 yards and pick a coyote out from 100 yards away, they can take evasive measures, right? If all of a sudden they come around a corner and a bobcat's standing there, you know, not, not right. a very good opportunity. That yeah. You're going to lose a few of those poults, uh, okay. if not all of them. Yeah. And doesn't, I think I was reading, the mm-hmm. MDC has some programs where they can come out like if you're wanting to help your turkey population specifically with habitat, mm-hmm. isn't that something that you guys offer? Yeah, absolutely. So each county or, or a couple of counties has what we call a private land conservationist. And those are folks that you can call up. They tend to be associated with an NRCS office or a USDA office. Uh, they'll come out, they'll walk around the property with you. You'll talk, you'll have a conversation about what you actually want, right? So if you want to grow turkeys or quail, or you want it to be deer habitat, or if you want it to be whippoorwill habitat or monarch habitat, they can talk to you, they can make management recommendations, and even plug you into some of the, the cost share money uh, that, that we have access to. So there's a whole just litany of programs that I can't even begin to dig into because frankly, I don't understand them still. Uh, and it's all, it's just acronym soup. It's, it's, it's hard to wade through, but they're yeah. well-trained and very familiar with how those programs work and what would make, you know, say an equip is one of those programs, an equip application, uh, more, you know, high, have a higher chance of success whenever it goes through that, that selection. But that avenue is there yep. for sure. Yep. If you're wanting to. So, <clears throat> and I think they can probably, I mean, you contact your local office mm-hmm. and, and get in touch with the right people. But mm-hmm. um, so that's one thing. Obviously, habitat loss. I mean, that makes sense. Yep. Um, and like I said, I mean, with just the expanding of of towns and less farmland, and um, you know, and a lot of land now is becoming privately owned. Mm-hmm. So, with privately owned land, then those people have to become the the people that yep. help with the population growth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and not doing nothing sometimes isn't always the best avenue. Um, yeah, I mean, rarely nature yeah. changes over yeah. the course of time. So we typically define our habitats by the way the disturbance uh, goes through them. Right. So sagebrush out west would be a low disturbance type place. You know, uh, a three foot tall sagebrush. Uh, could be 150 years old and a fire's never touched it. Uh, that's not what's happening in Missouri. So all of our landscapes are dominated by disturbance, right? If you think about the old tall grass prairies, you know, fires would go through that to man- maintain it. Bison would go through and maintain it the same way. Uh, the forests in like the Ozarks, those are on a, a natural burn rotation of three to f- three to seven years, I think they've they've determined. Um, so by leaving it alone, it's not becoming more natural. It's actually becoming less natural, less like it was pre, pre, uh, you know, human, gotcha. if you will. Um, one of the other things that I uh, found would be a reason for a decline is obviously we talk about weather. So, mm-hmm. um, so one thing, if people don't know a lot, but if a poult. Um, and I believe it's the poult. So mm-hmm. if they get, 
you know, rained on too much that can cause hypothermia or that can cause the pulse to pass away. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the little, the little pulse, they still have kind of down feathers for the first two or three weeks of their life. So if they get wet, it doesn't beat off of them. So they kind of get wet to the skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if it gets cool at night or something like that, um, they'll get hypothermia yeah, or hypothermia because uh, they can't thermoregulate nearly as efficiently. I would tell turkeys then the springtime is a bad time to to hatch your eggs. To have your clutch. Can yeah. we move this move this out a little bit more? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, weather obviously plays a, a part in it. Um, I don't know if, and this is me looking at it. I just felt like weather wise, is that really one of the biggest factors, or is it kind of down on the list? Because mm. To me, in Missouri, uh, I feel like our our winters have been decently mild. If we talk about, you know, I, gosh, I can't remember. I mean, I feel like we we don't get a lot of snow, right. um, at least generally over the past few years. Um, the springtime, um, rain wise, I mean, gosh, I don't know how severe weather we have to get. I don't know. I was talking to Chandler. I was like, "Well, what was the, what was the spring turkey hunting like after the flood in '93? Mm-hmm. I wonder how. Like, apparently, it must have been terrible then, because of that's a pretty big severe weather. Um, but is weather really one of the main causes, or is it pretty far down on the list? That's a good question, and I think it's something that we're still learning a bit about, which is the the classic cop-out answer, but I'll, I'll try and explain why. So you're right. I think as far as things are going, weather-wise, we're seeing more um, extreme events. So it may be overall drier or wetter uh, than it has been in the past, but the events where we're getting rain, it's no longer a quarter inch here, half inch there. It's three inches today. And then six weeks later, it's another three inches, right? So the monthly average may be higher, but but it's those two events. And those tend to be probably a little more severe as far as, as as a mortality event. But the reason why it's hard to really suss that out is, is anyone who's been on a lake has seen a, a squall go by where you're barely getting sprinkled on and a quarter mile away, it's just getting dumped on. And so we don't have the, the fineness, that fine scale weather data, right? We'll take data from, you know, as many weather stations as exist, but if there's 10 miles between them, you know, it's really hard to know how that would affect uh, yeah, production. It, it tends to be, uh, it, it, as you said, it tends to be a, a pulp issue. So one of the research projects that we've got going on in North Missouri, uh, up around, uh, it's in Putnam County, north of Kirksville, is they put out a bunch of weather stations. They're collecting that data at like a really fine scale. Uh, and so I'm curious to see what, what comes out of it. But I would say weather probably isn't the biggest factor most years and then some years it's absolutely the biggest factor so if you had maybe 93 would be a good example i should look into that that'd be interesting to see um but if you had one year where it was just a complete washout you would like you would probably see that year's production decline yeah i would imagine with the wide scale flooding Mm -hmm. and how much rain we had that spring you know a lot of the the hatch you know was taken out um or <clears throat> like a terrible winter, mm-hmm. you know, not as much now around Missouri, but um, I suppose if you had a really severe winter where it was just constant snow and blizzards, yeah, you're not ruining the hatch, but you are, you know, you might have hens that die or, or 
you know, toms that are mm-hmm. viable to breed with hens. And so if, you know, and maybe this is a specific to a farm, you know, maybe your farm 100%. flooded that, you, right? You know, yep. you know, we get different weather from north to south to see, you know, so some people um, might be like, well, weather hasn't played a part here, yep. but maybe northwest Missouri along the river bottoms or something, you know, it flooded out. So to them, it just killed their, mm-hmm. you know, overall. So, yeah. I just looking at mm-hmm. it, I'm thinking, but you brought up a good point. Maybe it's not necessarily the overall, but those those severe times. Mm-hmm. So if it's it's not necessarily just the weather itself, it's the severe weather where it's just a downfall for you know three inches or yep. whatever it is all at once. And like at a specific time of year, so we expect you know most of the hens. In a perfect world, they would they would all hatch roughly the same time, right? Mm-hmm. That's a, the predator swamping approach, where if there's a million poults out on the ground, you know, predators can only eat so many per day before they, they get big enough that they can they can evade predation. Uh, so if we get a big rain event, you know, three days after, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a big, um, you know, a big pulse of hatching happens, mm-hmm. you know, that may be a big deal. Whereas if that happened three days before, it wouldn't have done any damage or 10 days later, it may not have done nearly as much damage. So it's, it's variable. And again, I'm, I'm not sure that we have this, the fine scale data to really tease that out. Um, but we do know that polts die from weather related events. So it does have, it does have some bearing. Gotcha. I'm not sure how, how much though. Okay. Um, so what would be, I think it brings us to maybe one of the biggest concerns people might have, mm-hmm. and that would be predators. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always brought up with the decline um, in the turkey population. So um, in your point of view or what you're seeing, um, you know, predator-wise, where are we at? How's that looking? What's the concerns? Is it a specific species? Is it... Mm-hmm. You know, what's your thought on that? A lot of thoughts. Yeah. A lot of thoughts on that. Right. <laughs> I got you. No, no, no. Um, so it, when you dig into the literature and you look at kind of cause-specific mortality, right, so people who put trackers on poults and then go figure out what killed the poult or why the poult died, I suppose, um, overwhelmingly it's predators, right? So 80% of poults are killed by predators or something like that. Now, what we don't know is is that really where it's been for the last 500 years, or is that is that a recent phenomenon where, where predators are killing more birds? I am inclined to think that predators have always killed turkeys. That's why the turkey biology is the way it is, right? A hen has you know up to 12 or 13 eggs. That's because she's expecting to lose a few to predators. Hens, if they lose a nest early, can re-nest. That's because they expect to lose some nests to predators. So predators have been a part of the system forever, right? Turkeys evolved with most of these predators. Now, to your point, I think predator the predator density almost certainly is inclining uh, it's on the increase mm-hmm. right if you look at all of our observations so we've got bow hunter surveys where, where folks who are out in the bow stand they just jot down what they see you know you see a real steady increase on things like bobcats and coyotes and raccoons and and those are probably some of the primary predators of turkeys um, but breaking it down a little further you've got you know animals that that predate turkeys at the nest and then after they've hatched so, and we're talking about poults here. Um, mm-hmm. Most adult birds aren't predated um, for the most part, though. We'll get into adult predation after sure. after I talk about uh, poult predation. So a lot of things will eat an egg, uh, and they've shown that, right? So like if a, a, a raccoon comes across a nest, 
they'll eat the eggs, right? That's that's a great meal for for a raccoon. Um, same with the possums and skunks. Those tend to be kind of the the primary mesocarnivore um, nest raiders. People will refer to them as, uh, and 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 for the most part, those are all inclining on the on the increase uh, after a poult hatches. Um, you know, maybe still as a real young, you'll see a, a raccoon take a take a little poult or something like that. But that becomes less of an issue. Then you're looking more at you know bobcats and raccoon, or excuse me, and uh, coyotes and foxes and things of that nature. A fox will also raid a nest. I forgot about that. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's an issue for sure. Um, uh, another thing that that we don't have much control on at all would be things like avian predators, right? So crows and ravens. Uh, are very, very good at keying in on nests. They understand, like, they're incredibly bright. It's it's pretty remarkable. Uh, so they're probably depredating a lot of nests. Uh, snakes, you know, we can't really do much about snakes. Um, they can depredate nests, things of that nature. So there's a lot of things that will eat an, eat an egg and eat a poult. Um, a lot fewer things can eat an adult turkey, right? So your raccoons are not out there hunting adult turkeys. But a hen is super vulnerable when she's on the nest, right? Her whole strategy is to just be as still and quiet as she possibly can. But sometimes that's still not enough, right? So if a bobcat comes by, it smells her downwind. Uh, if he walks downwind of the nest, you know, then they'll go in and, and they'll remove that that hen. And that also causes, of course, a nest failure if the, if the hen's not there. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's, a, it's an issue. I think really for me what it comes down to is it's a habitat problem again right so that's a symptom of of the of the lack of habitat or the decreasing volume of habitat on the on the landscape so if you've got you know a patch a small patch of of, of nesting habitat surrounded by non-nesting habitat it's pretty easy to hunt that right if there's a one turkey in there she she's probably going to get found now if that's a big old patch of that same type of habitat it gets harder for that predator to potentially pick up that that bird um so to me, it's it's as much a, a, a predator control issue as it is a, a habitat issue. But that said, you know, I never recommend against trapping. I just think that that the the habitat work needs to come first. So if the habitat doesn't exist, trapping the the predators isn't going to do much, right? You're kind of getting your cart before the horse there. However, if you've done all the habitat work that you know that you think you can, and you're still not seeing a response, uh, at least in that production side of things then maybe a, a real targeted trapping approach is warranted. Um, but there's a lot of caveats that go into to trapping fur bears. Um, I'm not sure how far down that road you want to go. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, well, I mean, overall trapping, I would say is on the decline. Well, well off of where it has so, been. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's not much you can do about that. Like the, the, the one thing people bring up a lot is the price of a pelt. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, those days are, done they're done yeah we're not gonna see the price of pelts skyrocket i mean no one's paying for pelts anymore so do you I mean, guys I think, stock coon I think, skin hats no yeah like, like i just think that's off the board yeah as a viable option that's just not gonna happen but um does uh is there things well i know we changed uh right chandler like in missouri we changed the coyote thing mm -hmm. i know that's you know, uh, what is it like during the night now, like doing, um, didn't they just change the, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with this. Uh, I think something with, with the thermals and mm -hmm. different things like that. So Certain to try to help, right. you know, I don't know how many more coyotes, but I guess any more, you know, would help It's an right? interesting to, to, question, a, to a little bit, you yeah. know, but, um, 
you know, taking another coyote out might might help, but it might hurt though. So that's when it gets really wor- squirrely and 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 weird. So coyotes in particular, they they kind of operate on a dominance hierarchy. So if you've got a dominant pair of coyotes on your property, you'd mm-hmm. have two, maybe maybe four. If you shot one of those or both of those dominant uh, uh, animals off, you'd have ten. Right? They'd come in and try and fill that void and then work something out amongst themselves with the, however they do their dominance hierarchy work. Um, so coyotes are tricky because they they move around so much and, and, and some percentage of coyotes never settle into a specific dominance situation. So they're just they're, they're coursing, they're running all around the countryside looking for kind of a spot to call their own. Um, and it's it's similar with raccoons in that whenever if you don't take out a, a high enough proportion of raccoons, then there's uh, they call it like a compensatory breeding or, or, or something like that, where the following year, right? So say you took out 20% of the raccoons on your property, the following year, they would make up for that with birth rates. The birth rates would pulse and you'd end up with potentially more raccoons on your property. Again, that's not to say we shouldn't be considering trapping as like a viable tool in the toolkit. I absolutely think we should. And also I think we should be promoting trapping as a, as a pastime. It's a way to get out in the woods. It's a way to connect with nature. I think uh, I did not grow up trapping, um, and I haven't really begun trapping, but I think it's an interesting way of approaching the world through a different set of eyes, right? A, a deer hunter walks through the world differently than a, than a turkey hunter, than a duck hunter. Uh, trappers, I think, are the same way. They see sign that I just miss. Um, but you need to go into it with a plan, right? So you need to be really focused. Um, you know, trapping after the breeding season has taken place, probably not super effective, or excuse me, after the nesting season. Um, you know, you need to be, it's a yearly requirement, right? So if you start doing it, you got to maintain it. It's much like habitat work. It's, it's, it's constant and ongoing. Um, but yeah, if you don't do it for the love of it or for the, for the, for the potential benefit to the, to the population of, of turkeys or ground nesting birds, um, <laughs> it's quite a lot of work. It's quite yeah. a lot of work. I didn't know. I guess I never looked into the coyote thing of. Well, I've heard a lot about the coyote. You know, you, you shoot one, you're really a lot of things happen. They they just like the raccoons. You're saying they they breed more, mm-hmm. or they they tend to replace that. You know, you replace that that size of of, know that. of group. I didn't know that about raccoons though. Mm-hmm. Yep, they do the same thing. Yeah, it's a little different because it's mostly that like kind of resident raccoons just have more babies versus coyotes where you know, not like, like neighbors coyotes will just move on to your place essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you took out the, so yeah, you take out a couple and mm-hmm. they might be the dominant ones you're seeing all the time. And then all of a sudden you're going to get a ton more to come in. Cause now they're going to be looking to take over that territory, that territory. Mm-hmm. So instead of just the two, now you might have, you know, four or five, whatever it may yep. be, but yeah. And you can um, keep on top of it. It just requires that you got to keep on top of it. It's not right. one of those things where I shot a f- I shot right. a few and I've done my job. And yeah, and the trapping takes time too. Oh, 100 percent. Because you got to check them every 24 hours. Yeah. Yep. You know, so there's a lot to, that yep. goes into that too. Yep. I mean, trapping takes a lot of time. Right. Um, but if you focus it around your your nesting and broodering areas, you know, you could you could make the case that you probably are helping as long as you're maintaining the effort and you're and you're doing it doing it really diligently yeah but but without the habitat i would i if you haven't done the habitat work i would say trapping is not going to help you 
uh, you would, at all. You would boil it down to we're still back to the habitat. Yeah. I if, mean, that's the... If you think of the, the leaky bucket analogy, which is cliche and trite, um, the habitat's the low hole. If you don't if you don't address that low hole, it doesn't matter how many of the holes above it that you plug up. Right. You gotta. But is that on your list is habitat? That's the number one priority yeah, that we one. have to take care of. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. There you go, Pat. Because a lot of people would say, like, just uh, you know, I never hear habitat. You mm-hmm. hear predators. Yeah, that's true. That's the buzzword. I mean, that's what that's yeah, that's what everybody. Coyotes and predators are on the incline, which they are. are. I would imagine they are. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard not to see that, too, with the eye test. is like they're increasing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gosh, I don't know how many raccoons I got on my place. And and there's another one, so like my farm specifically. And then maybe this would be where I need a, you know, you bring out someone from the MDC, the land specialist. Yeah, I was wondering if you think you have some of those. Well, so so I just areas that he was talking about. Well, yeah, I'm trying to think. So ten years ago, I go back ten years when I started hunting it, and when I first started hunting uh, with my wife there. And every spring, I mean, it was on. So uh, the farm split, you know, with the RA road, you know, so you can hunt both sides, and and there was turkeys everywhere, both sides, all all the time. Um, and you'd see tons of them in the spring or in the fall too, you know, cause you're out there and they're mm-hmm. running around and then springtime and roll around and it didn't matter which side you sat on cause you knew they were coming. It was almost a given not to get a turkey. And over the past four or five years, it just kept getting lower and lower and lower. And now, you know, you hear one or two goblin maybe on your property. And the one that did got shot, <laughs> yeah, but uh, <laughs> but uh, but um, you know I've I'm seeing coyotes on camera, trail cams. I'm seeing bobcats. I've got <laughs> the story with the feed. Yeah. All the raccoons. I probably had thirty or forty for two weeks straight. Um, sit on top of a feed pile. I'm like, well, we got raccoons too, so. Um, would raccoons, if you were going to look at predators, are they kind of number one? If I had to focus... I mean, they just raid nests. Uh-huh. Yeah, if I had to focus on one species, it would be raccoons. Because it's like they're taking out the nest before it even gets going, yeah. where uh, poults, let's just say that three or four did hatch, right. you know, a bobcat or coyote, you know, is, you know, maybe they're not getting all of them, mm-hmm. but, a, but a raccoon's just taking out the whole... Has that potential? Yeah, yeah, has the potential of taking out the whole nest. Yeah, um, possums too. Yeah, it, is that a fallacy? What about everybody's like everybody's South, like don't don't mess with the possums because they take care of ticks. But I've yeah. I've looked into that and that's not really. Uh, I don't think they help with the I'll ticks just, as I'll much as you think. Treat my fire fire is better at killing ticks than 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 possums. Burn yeah. your burn your forest, folks. Burn your forest. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> I'll make a plug later for an organization to to get into yeah, as far as go. prescribed fire. But but yeah, no possums. Possums are, are are top nest raiders too. I mean, you see those in most of the studies. Uh, as far as as they'll eat an egg, so I think it's worth making a distinction between something that's gonna that's gonna actively push a hen off of her nest and then steal the eggs versus something that maybe if the hen's dead or off, you know, feeding for an hour will come in and, and eat eggs. Because uh, I think that's a, an important distinction. So I don't imagine a possum is one that's going to 
in a lot of cases, and certainly it could happen. And I'm I'm sure there's a hundred people who are going to call in like I've got an S cam photo or, or trail cam photos of a possum pushing a hen off, but I don't think that's going to be the the primary way that a possum comes across eggs. I think the hen will have been depredated, and then the possum will find the eggs, you know, a day or two later. Um, as far as armadillos, I think it's exactly that same idea. So, same thing as a possum. Yep, yeah. they'll 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 come across eggs. Um, I've been getting that question a lot in the last couple of weeks. Um, and so I looked up a little bit of relevant research. And uh, so possums, so, or excuse me, armadillos, they, they, there was two studies that were done in Texas where they looked at, and I think they were artificial nests. So, you know, whether or not you can draw conclusions from an artificial nest versus a, a native nest, I suppose, is up in the air. But they were published, so someone thought they were, they were good science. Um, one in 118 nests were rated by an armadillo, and in the other one it was like one in 58. So not a primary not a primary nest predator mm-hmm. on those on those in, in Texas. I found another one in, in Arkansas where they actually looked at like um, armadillo stomach contents. So they went around. <laughs> I don't know what the, the protocol was, but my guess is they were driving around in a truck looking for armadillos to shoot. Um, so they went out and they shot armadillos. They looked at the stomach contents. And in zero cases did they find any eggshells or baby bird bones. And that would be from any ground nesting bird, yeah. not just turkeys. So... I, there's no doubt that if an armadillo, in my mind, there's no doubt that if an armadillo ran across an egg or a nest that was unattended, it would eat those th- those eggs. Um, I do. I just don't see them being aggressive enough to push a to push a mm-hmm. hen off of her nest. Yep. Yeah. And raccoons and foxes would be. I think so. I think a, the, I think a, there's the pushers a, for sure. For sure, like foxes on up. Um, I can imagine that. Uh, you know, a hen has a lot of time and, and effort invested in trying to get those eggs hatched. So if it's within the first day or two, I bet a I bet a raccoon will push her off, and she'll just abandon it and say, "This isn't a good spot. I need to go somewhere else." Um, you know, if you're day 26 out of 28, she may decide to to put up a fight just to see what happens. Uh, while a raccoon could certainly um, do some damage to a to a turkey, turkeys are pretty pretty br- brutal sometimes too. You know, I've been hit in the head with turkey wings, and it it's a clobber. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Um, the predators are, are absolutely uh, a, a, a talking point that folks use, um, and, and I don't doubt that there's more of them, and I suspect more nests are getting predated, but I, I really do think that ties back into just less of that good habitat on the ground. It just really concentrates where the hens have to be, or it's something else where like a hen is just deciding to put her nest in, in less than great habitat because that's the only option she has, and that really just... Yeah, increases the probability that's going to get predated. So before we get into the the, the hunting seasons, mm-hmm. uh, which I wanted to bring up, so mm-hmm. I wanted to put this out there. So I, if I'm kind of around this number, so um, like peak 2004 is kind of what I found, but you know Missouri sitting around like 600,000 birds. Um, today we're about 350,000. How do you go about, like, how do we know those numbers? Yeah. Um, so we we're in the process of building a really good complex population model, which will give us a lot of certainty in the number that we will end up publishing. It's probably a year or two out. We're still doing some, some little add on projects to, to give us better estimates for some of the vital rates. Uh, as of right now, and I know other states kind of use the same sort of back of the envelope math. It's, it's about 10 times the spring harvest. Um, so that's f- for as long as, as I've been able to, to notice it, that's what, what the, the state biologists have done in Missouri. 
And when we've done the the more intensive modeling work, it lines up pretty well. Okay. Um, so you mentioned population is about six hundred thousand right. at one point. Harvest was about sixty thousand. There you go. That makes sense. Yep. Okay. Last year was about thirty six thousand the harvest, so we would have right. estimated the population so you're about fifty yeah. give or take. And speaking of the population, so like 1950s, if you mm -hmm. kind of look up that, you know, we're, we were down to like 2,500. Right. I mean, it was pretty low. That was in the 50s. Right. Uh-huh. And that was, What about know, 30s? I mean, were we, were we pretty much probably nothing? Either lower or around there. I around mean, there, yeah. we always sort of had like that core, I think, in the Ozarks around Peck Ranch. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think it was... It was more or less shot out as people started to move into the into the country. Just mm -hmm. the uncontrolled hunting, yep. um, destroying habitat, yep. and then they had a big, you know, restoration of you know, the habitat restoration, and and obviously you start having uh, uh, regulations on mm -hmm. on hunting itself, and then and then as you move, we've birds, seen an increase. Did Missouri move farm birds in first? Yeah, did, they tried that. They tried I to heard use. That didn't, it didn't did, work. Well. It was a complete failure. So then they they hit on the notion that instead of trying to use pin raised birds, um, they take they capture wild birds and move them around, and that yeah. that worked a lot better. Um, I think altogether, they moved about fifty five hundred birds in Missouri, and some of that was to other regions of Missouri. Um, but then those, of course, we helped. Stock other states, you know, like Ohio has a whole bunch of Missouri birds to mm. start their their population in Wisconsin and, and and Texas and things like that. So, gotcha. So to to jump into the season, mm -hmm. so that would be the next thing I I was kind of thinking of. Mm -hmm. um, well, when was our first turkey oh, season? Nineteen sixty. Sixty. Yeah, there was, it was it was a three day season. Yeah, a, you said that earlier. Three. We days. were looking yeah, up. Yeah. I was like three day season, one bird limit. Yeah, I think seven hundred total permits, and I I believe they <laughs> harvested ninety four birds. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. A three day season. Eighties. We went to like a two week. Two pack. week in the eighties, and then nineteen ninety eight. We sort of settled into our our current framework, where it was a three week season, two bird limit for the spring. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I wanted to get into. So let's kind of divide up the season mm -hmm. and pros and cons of of how we feel about it. Um, and we can start anywhere. So one, uh, we're seeing this decline, mm -hmm. um, which we've all stated now. So we've got that laid out there. So uh, one, when we went from, I understand going from the three three day to four day to mm -hmm. two weeks. Mm -hmm. I get it. Three days really short, and there was no birds really back then. Um, but as we see now a decline over the past how many every years, more than five. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Would would it wouldn't it be uh, common sense to go back to a two week then? Yeah. So in the spring season specifically. Yeah, in the yeah. spring season. Yeah. yeah, just roll it back a mm -hmm. little bit. You know, sure. we, we we increased it because the population was increasing. Yep. Increased I would opportunity imagine. because there's more birds. There's mm -hmm. more birds, so we increased it to three weeks. Yep. Well, now we're seeing a decline. Why not just roll it back to two weeks? Well, yeah. I don't. Yeah, is that the answer, or is it moving it, the dates around mm -hmm. anyway? Well, that too. Yeah, but I'll address both. Yeah. yeah. So the know. way I mean, and hats off to the to the early Missouri turkey biologists because they thought through this really well. So if you if you if you look at what a lot of the other states that are doing that are moving their season, it's moving it later. You know, the idea is that if we move our, our turkey season until after the peak of breeding happens, then we're doing a lot less disruption to, one, we're doing less disruption to that breeding activity, and two, 
hens are on the nests, so they're less likely to be um, like accidentally shot or something like that. So they're just a little safer um, in that regard. So that's really well thought out. And Missouri was always doing that. So 1998, right? That was still that was part of the plan even then. It's like you know we don't want to disrupt this breeding behavior. Um, by having the season right in the middle of it, or even before it starts, right? So mm -hmm. if you shoot that that dominant gobbler, and this is new thinking uh, nationwide, but I think in Missouri, it's, it's, it's more or less we just accept it. But as you shoot those dominant birds off the ridge top, right, then they have to go through the whole process where, where they reestablish dominance, right? It's not just like the alpha gets shot, so then the beta now is the alpha. The beta has to now win that spot over, over the other birds in the area. So by moving the season later, you're kind of avoiding some of that conflict and there's not going to be like a, a an interruption in the breeding activity as far as making it making it uh, a, a week shorter uh, we don't find that that would do a whole lot for just the exact reasons we're talking about so our harvest rate is pretty low it's pretty sustainable you know 25 35 percent so any one year we're, we're taking about that many birds off the out of the population but we're able to replace that through through production so by shortening the season we're probably not actually going to be um, really doing a whole lot as far as as far as protecting more birds, essentially. Um, further to that point, most of our birds are shot in the first week or two anyway. And then I think this is interesting. This is something that I've I've learned recently. Uh, only about five percent of Missourians fill that second tag, as it were. So yeah. we're really not saving that many birds, if you will, if you want to use saving um, from hunters um, by shortening the season or by uh, decreasing a bag limit. Um, and whenever you look at the regulations that a lot of the other states, right, so Tennessee went from five birds to three. Well, yeah, five birds is a lot of, yeah. a lot of birds. Oh, my gosh. And, that, and, they're, and they're doing a lot of stuff, right? Because yeah. didn't they have like a yearly bag limit or something at one time? Or they're, they're included like fall into the mix somehow. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not super, super up to date on a lot of the other states' regulations. Um, but I just know that Missouri has always been on the conservative end. And whenever you look at the changes that other states are making, it really more or less mimics what Missouri's already been doing. So for the spring season, I feel pretty comfortable with the, the regulations that we have, the structure, the timing. Um, you know, we, we every year I, I write up a big proposal, regulations proposal, and I present it to a whole variety of committees. And so that's sort of things that we think about critically. Um, but the spring season seems, you know, in my opinion, fairly, fairly good. Yeah, I just thinking out loud mm -hmm. would tell me that if you I know it might not help a lot mm -hmm. but you roll it back to two weeks um, and then doing like a one bird limit mm -hmm. or <laughs> Chainlin was like you pay for a tag you get your one bird mm -hmm. if you want to get another one then purchase a second, mm -hmm. almost like buying a doe tag, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I was just um, thinking. And you said, like, but, but you, you explained, like, me, like, I don't, that second tag on my turkeys usually, I'm, and most I'm kind of crappie fishing. Sure. You know, I, I want to chase after that first bird, mm -hmm. and then the second bird, I don't, I don't think I've ever filled the second bird. I, I just, and I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like, um, yeah, it might not help a ton, but yeah. any help is better than then no help. So you roll back two weeks, you do a one bird limit, or you do the, if you shoot one bird, then you can buy your mm -hmm. next tag. I would venture to guess most people do the one bird and they're done mm -hmm. um, based off of just what I see. Like yeah. after the first week of me hunting, I kind of like, okay, I want to go fishing. I want to go look yeah. for morel mushrooms and, uh, sure. you know, crappie fish. Well, I mean, 
So with all of the regular birds survive. Sure, maybe because there's there's yearly um, mortality, right? So not every bird that makes it through the hunting season will survive. So there's a there's an idea of compensatory versus additive mortality. We imagine with a lot of our game species that it's a little more on the compensatory side, that we're taking birds out of the population at the same rate that they would die naturally anyway. There's That's not, it would be hard to make that case with a lot of hard data, but that's kind of the thinking behind the, the harvest of, of game species, right? Because like, we should just close the season altogether, right? If, if we're worried about it uh, in that regard. But whenever we're thinking about about regulations and, and hunting, you know, it, it's really always a, a balance between opportunity and and the, the well-being of the species. So that's kind of, right, our, our mission is like to preserve and protect, you know, wildlife in Missouri and to provide the opportunity to use and, 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 and enjoy nature, uh, right? That's kind of the, the MDC's yeah. uh, vision and, and, and whatnot. Um, so, I like to use the example, right? So if you if you fill your tag on opening day of turkey season and the bag limit's one, like that's it, you're done. You you can't go back out and, and turkey hunt. Even if you never fill that second tag, you no longer have the opportunity to, to, to pack a shotgun in the woods um, and, and hunt turkeys. Now, for some, that's uh, uh, that's okay, right? They're 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 on board with that, um, and those people certainly are not obligated to shoot a second bird. Um, but a lot of people. You know, this is their driving passion in life. This is the three weeks that they set aside. Like, they don't have children during this three weeks for a reason. You know, like, <laughs> they they take all their time off. I've had people call me already just to, like, double-check when next season's the, the, the dates are because they take those three weeks off of work to hunt. Right, they're paying attention for mm-hmm. when the, that yep. dates roll out. Yep. Okay. Um, um, yeah, I can see that, too, because, you, yeah, you want to give um, hunters that opportunity to go out there and mm-hmm. enjoy it. And so, you know, that fine line of, you know, are we taking too much opportunity away right. um, versus not? I know we we discuss like, um, and it's probably changed in waterfowl too, so you'd have to fill in on that. But uh, like bird limits or, you know, um, but I know like in Missouri for like does, specific, mm-hmm. like we've changed a lot when it came to deer too, mm-hmm. like... Mm-hmm used to be able to go out and you just purchase a booklet of antlerless tags. Right. Well, we've rolled that back. Yeah. Okay, we're taking too many. And then we also added the point restriction um, for a lot of counties. Not all, of, I don't know if it's all across the state now, but I know most of them have the four points. So I've seen it done with other species oh, yeah. is why I bring yep. it up. You know, um, I think you get blowback either way, you know, whether, whether you did or didn't. There's always going to be both sides. So, and I try not to make my decisions based on the blowback I get. Otherwise, I'd be paralyzed. Or right? like you'd be <laughs> like, yeah. "Well, I guess." Uh, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I'm what just we, gonna go crappie fish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but what we but what we see is that you know by reducing the spring or changing the, the timing of the spring, we're probably not having much of an impact at all. But it would have an impact on on opportunity. And another one would be, you know, like school kids, right? So they can't they can't hunt every morning like us. Um, so they're 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 limited to the weekend days. Um, so as you start to remove even those weekend days, right, that really cuts into a 15 year old's opportunity to go hunt turkeys. And those are the folks that we really need to to keep in the fold, right? Mm-hmm. Like those that's the next generation. Um, so that's something that you know is, is in the back of my mind. Now, if we saw that, good grief, we're shooting too many gobblers in a spring. Uh, then of course that would that would be one of the levers I could pull to try and address that, but that doesn't seem to be the case right now. Right. 
Well, being on this decline, then my next question would be, at what point do we make a decision? You know, if we if we we talk about having land and not doing anything is is really you know not helping is if we keep declining now this year we did go up a little bit Mm -hmm. from the past couple years um and maybe that was some rarity that just you know we sold more permits and so the harvest numbers were up or Mm -hmm. i don't know i didn't look at permit total so it might not be that but you know the success rate was higher this year Mm -hmm. um now, if it stays the same, then we're like, okay, that's good. But let's just say we keep on this trend of second lowest harvest total, third lowest harvest total. We just had our worst harvest total, was yeah, it last two years, two years ago, ago um, in five years, 10 years. And it's like, okay, it's still dipping. Mm-hmm. I mean, how long do we take that? We'd have to look at a, we make a change. Sure. We'd have to look at a variety of factors. So if we saw, for example, production bounce back and harvest continue to decline, you know, that would, that would be a, a, a hint to us that perhaps uh, either hunters are less engaged or, or involved, or if we saw permit sales dip and a corresponding dip in harvest. I mean, you're right, there has to be some component of hunter effort associated with it. And I absolutely suspect that the good hunting weather this year had a role, maybe even a large role in, in the increase. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's a question we have, uh, and certainly sure. it's one that, that uh, that we we evaluate every year, and right? It's an every year evaluation every year, that you guys yeah. look at, and and we have a lot of, yeah. Looking up my my chain of command, right? Every one of them turkey hunts, and most of them are very very passionate turkey hunters who are very very concerned with uh, how we manage the the resource. Um, so I don't know if that gives people any like solace or not, but uh, they're not just people sitting behind a desk right. that don't like hunting. The, these are not bureaucrats that are just trying to to make the fewest waves. You know, these are people who are very invested in the in the in the resource. Yep. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my my next season would be the fall sure. one, which isn't a um, really a big season, but. You know, the first thought out of my head is, is well, two. One, let's just get rid of it. Sure. If it's not that big of a season anyways, right. and we don't kill enough, um, let's just get rid of it so we just save those birds. Mm-hmm. Or two, let's just go to male only mm-hmm. um, and let the hens survive into the next season. Yep. Um, has that ever been looked at or thought about? It's probably brought up every year. Oh, yeah. No, that's – I would say the spring season is not super controversial, even in even in the agency. Uh, the fall season would, uh, would be slightly more controversial um, for sure. So, you know, it, again, it's really that, that, that concept of opportunity versus – versus damage done essentially to the to the population. So I don't think any of us would make the argument that one hen harvested per year is gonna have an impact, right? I do think that we would all agree that if we shot all the hens every year, that that would have an impact. So mm. there, there's somewhere in between there that we can find some common ground. Um, just to put numbers to it, because I brought my cheat sheet, um, you know, we shot about 4,300 total birds last year. In the fall? No, in the fall, yeah. correct. And that's across the entire state. Uh, about 60% of those, or 2,500, were reported as hens or, or jennies, right? So, you know, a, a, a majority of the birds harvested in the fall are probably hens. I use probably because we've done a little bit of research and we're, and we're in the process of it uh, right now where we 
look at that the the quality of that telecheck data and it turns out at least in the year one uh, the ratios are about flipped so in fact we we the samples I received, more more male birds were harvested than female birds, and jakes were almost always called a female whenever they're harvested in the, in the, the young of the year, right? Because uh, it can be a little more challenging, which sounds like I'm dodging the question. I think, so overall, right, where we're talking about the number of birds harvested in Missouri during the fall, specifically hens, because I, I think that's probably what drives most of the conversation, um, it's about one hen for every 20 eight or 29 square miles of land in Missouri. It's just at such a low level that it, it doesn't seem like it's gonna have an impact. And in fact, the research would, would indicate that, that anything less than a 4% harvest rate, which is a little bit different than just the harvest numbers, um, should be sustainable. So the work we've done looking at, at hen harvest rate, where you actually band a known population of hens and see how many of those bands get returned, uh, shows that in the 80s, when we were killing, you know, closer to 30,000 birds in the fall, it was about four, four and a half percent. In the in the late 2000s, it's dipped to about one percent as far as the harvest rate goes. So we're taking at or less than one percent of the hens out of the population, and a lot of those are young birds as well. Um, so as far as you know, by removing that as an opportunity, how much are we helping? The answer is probably not very much, or maybe not at all. But we are, you know, removing that opportunity for for folks who are really interested. And and I get far fewer phone calls and emails from people who are pro fall hunting. But the ones I do get are, you know, this is their favorite time to be out in the woods. It's certainly a traditional hunting opportunity for Missourians. Um, You know, that's something that's been around uh, about as long as the spring season. And so I think, you know, we should we should keep in mind that. You know, there are people who, who love to fall hunt. Uh, it's a great time to be in the woods. You know, not everyone wants to chase deer. Um, so that's that's part of my calculation. That's sort of that's sort of where I... Yeah. yeah. And then you... Well, so I'm playing devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but with the... the uh, you know, if all we have to do is call in and say, well, that's my favorite mm-hmm. thing to hunt. And mm-hmm. All I like to do is, is uh, shoot does, so you guys limited now what I can shoot. Or, hey, I only get a go and I hunt for meat, but I don't have any deer with four points on one side, so I guess, you know, mm-hmm. I'm done hunting. But we still changed sure. the protocols to it. So, yep. um, I mean, protocols have been changed. I think we're just kind of – I think from what I'm hearing from you – it's a it's definitely i mean it's looked at every year mm-hmm. you know there's studies that even we're not seeing i mean you, i'm sure you, there's you guys are doing studies you talked about the is it up in putnam, putnam county, county yeah. you're doing the weather part the, of that the, the you know so you can yep. kind of see those severe weather things um we didn't bring up, but you had mentioned to me and chandler you're even doing the banded mm-hmm. turkeys are you doing the internal yeah, that's only Maybe. yeah, that's only for males. That's to look at harvest rates of males. To again, to just double check to take the temperature in a couple of regions in Missouri. Like, what does our harvest rate look like? Is it sustainable with these with these present regulation structures? But yeah. things are being done. Sure. Um, you know, and it's uh, it's. Hey, I don't know if I'd want to be in your seat. <laughs> okay, so, um, um, you know. But as I sit here interviewing you, I want to, you know, you know, oh, bring sure, sure. up these things that I hear. Oh, that, yeah. You know, 
you know that's what I hear so and I think there's more conversation about the fall season this year um, than there has been in, in years previous uh, obviously Kansas just closed their fall season uh, Arkansas hasn't had a fall season for a couple seasons you know I'd be curious to see if they see their population rebound right because I don't yeah. I don't think it's I don't know that it's the wrong call. I don't know that it's the right call. Uh, I don't know that they're going to see a bounce. But what they are going to see is no fall turkey hunters in their state, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a user group that, I, you know, I don't know. It's it's not one that I'm prepared to just throw under the bus to make a point. If right. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to do the the thing where we we just do a thing that we don't expect is going to work just to prove that we're doing a thing. Uh, I, I, I try to stay away from that, right? Our our information would indicate that closing a fall season isn't going to have an impact. Uh, we, did, we did some modeling to that effect uh, before I got here, and the results were, you know, close the fall season, what does the population growth rate do? It continues to decline, right? It's not that we're shooting hens in the fall. It's that we don't have the habitat on the ground. You know. Yeah. But ha- habitat seems to be the resounding. Yeah, I hate that I factor I, though. I, I just, it's impossible for me to get away from it. But every time I, I talk to folks, I just keep coming back to the habitat. Yeah. If we can't, if we can't get pulse to that, you know, that magic thirty days old period, it doesn't matter. You know, we're just not getting them there. Is that where we're? We need to. If we can get to thirty, their survival rate just yeah, it, it more or less it more or less uh, flattens off, right? So at that point, they're they're almost certainly going to survive. Now there hasn't been a lot. It's interesting. There hasn't been a lot of research done between that thirty day period and then like through their first breeding season. We don't know how many actually survive because it's hard to to track a poult, right? It starts out as you know a little two four ounce bird and then grows <laughs> to a, a ten pound bird in that first year. Yeah. So something with a battery life that could exist on a 10 pound bird you can't put on a two pound bird or two ounce bird but, but yeah generally speaking if you can get a get a poult to 30 30 days uh, they're able to roost off the ground uh, they're able to evade predators they can feed themselves they don't need quite as much uh, from mom at that point so so survival really really flattens out and, and and it looks good at that point i've even seen like some studies of insect population mm-hmm. across the country like so I, I teased the North Missouri project, but it's it's actually, if we've got time, I'd love to talk about it because it's what you got? it's really really interesting. And so, we all kind of acknowledge that it's production is the issue, but no one's really looked at what's driving the decline in production. So this project is looking at weather, right? So that's a component. So they've got all these weather stations. Mm-hmm. They're looking at really specific habitat characteristics from where the hen either nests or where she takes her poults and, and, and the hens even have so gps packs on them so we can get a, a location during the brood rearing season every 15 minutes but also within that little backpack has got an accelerometer so at at the points we see on the on the map we can actually tell what she's doing as well so if she's feeding mm-hmm. we know that if she's running away we know that if she's roosting you know that's information that we can gather uh, so we're looking at, at habitat selection at a really fine scale they're looking at insect abundance and diversity. So it, it, uh, a variety of random points on the study area and where we have pults actually existing using our GPS data, we go in and sample the insect communities there to see how abundant they are. Are, are hens selecting for areas with more or more abundant insects, things like that. Uh, and then there's even a predator density component to it. So they're out, uh, they're probably just wrapping up now. But they're out trapping uh, and, and recapturing nest predators, uh, raccoons, um, 
<laughs> raccoons, uh, skunks, and possums. They're they're putting they're they're it's a mark recapture type study, so they're able to put them out, and then based on the number they recapture, they can estimate densities across the gradient of habitats. So you know, in this type of habitat, we see a raccoon density of X, and then as you move to this habitat, uh, the raccoon density goes down some percentage, and so and so it's like a it's a really broad study that's looking at all the things that we've talked about today, and it's going to really shed a lot of light on things that um, we think may be issues, but we don't know, right? So this would be the type of study that, you know, as we had discussed, how how important is weather? This is the study that's going to be like, compared to these other three, it's more or less important than predation or habitat selection, that sort of thing. So I'm really excited. Uh, we're we're about three years into the five-year project, so there's some work yet to be done, but it's. Uh, and that's kind of when we'll start seeing the publication of this study, yeah. like five years. I'd like so to get a couple some more years. Yeah, I'd like to get some more kind of um, check-ins on it uh, before that, because people are excited and interested as well. Um, you know, NWTF spent a fair bit of money on the project buying buying GPS backpacks, and so they've asked for for updates and things like that. Um, so you know. Hopefully we get more out sooner than, than later. That's that's the that's always the goal. But yeah, the uh, yeah. the wheels of, of academia grind pretty slow. Sure, sure. Well, Turkey, it's always going to be a hot topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real quick, uh, your what's your opinion on the one p.m. Yeah, so that's a good one, and, and one that, you know, so I grew up as a turkey hunter in Missouri, and it's just like, I don't know, you, you stop hunting at 1 p.m., then you go, you know, whatever, you go crappie fishing or go mushroom hunting. Mm -hmm. um, it is an interesting opportunity situation, though, right? So we talked about school kids can only really hunt during the weekends unless their parents are prepared to, to let them out. Um, by opening it to all day, you you do you do open that, uh, that avenue to kids, right? So I would come home and, and go bow hunting in the afternoons, you know, in theory, I could come home and, and go turkey hunting after school. Yeah. Um, they find that uh, overall harvest probably would increase um, some percentage, you know, five, ten percent, but it wouldn't be a huge number uh, oh, really? of, of, of harvest increase. Like most people still are going to go turkey hunting in the morning because that's kind of how we're wired anyway. Like mm -hmm. the bird coming off the roost, there's like a certain aesthetic that turkey hunters are really drawn to, and that's part of it. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a topic of conversation, and every year it's part of the regulations yeah. discussion for sure. Yeah. If, so, you, if you go to all year, you give that opportunity, like we're talking yep, about, to yep. give people uh, more time to hunt. More time to hunt. They've already paid for the tag, so we might as well just <laughs> let them get out and there. It's, and it's, an, if you will, an underrepresented uh, community of hunters, uh, specifically during turkeys, right? Those, those youth hunters uh, can go out after school, which I think would yeah, be, would be, be pretty cool. cool. And traveling around different states, mm -hmm. they're always like, well, you can't hunt past one. Yeah. Yeah. But they just yeah. think it's, so, it's mind-boggling. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and some of the, the, the more recent states who have addressed that, um, like Virginia as an example, the first week they still close at one, but then the second and third weeks they open it all day. Hmm. Um, so there's there's some some um, some intelligent, you know, regulation wrangling to be done for sure. But, I, you know, I don't know. I, obviously, the the – politics if you will i don't like to be to be swayed by the politics but you know we just had a whole conversation about how the turkey population has declined and now we're talking about yeah maybe we could shoot a few more during the spring right. yeah 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 <laughs> uh yeah i'm open to the conversation certainly right. and i know that a lot of folks are are inclined that way but um man i would i would really like to see a couple good years of production yeah um, yeah and i guess my i guess i'm sure i have a lot of questions but one just real quick do you uh do you have meetings with other states 
just to kind of see what they're doing, even though, I mean, land is different, habitat's different, state to state, but do you still, you know, is there a gathering of intelligence between states? Yeah, yeah, so I'll be in, I'll be in Oklahoma and then in North Dakota, one of which is the Southeast CFWA, I don't know what the acronym is, but sort of a, a, a group of the Southeastern states come together and they talk about deer and turkey regulations, and then the other ones, the Midwest states, up in North Dakota, we come together and talk about uh, deer and turkey regulations and just things generally that that affect us all. Because you're right. I mean, while it, you know it's easy to think of like a Missouri kind of centric approach, all the states around us we're all kind of pulling the same direction. And so being able to share information, you know, get ideas from each other is is really valuable. And it's something that you know I look forward to most about this job. Yeah. Good stuff. So Good what stuff. I'm gathering is you know we got to get our habitat up so we can give more opportunity mm-hmm. yep or keep the opportunity we yeah, have that seems to yeah. be the big underlying factor yeah. if we've if you're listening yeah if i can and you can contact the mdc <laughs> sure. to to get help on it or Absolutely. some guidance yep. yeah i would say if you're if you're listening to this and you think to yourself gosh i haven't done any habitat work or the habitat work i've done is it's been fairly minimal uh but i want to see more turkeys then absolutely get a hold of your private land conservationist um but also consider joining and this is a free plug to them i'm not even a member um there's these prescribed burn associations that are popping up across the state um and they're doing that type of work too where, where they go in and they they provide assistance they provide guidance information uh in some cases equipment to help you get prescribed fire on the ground in, in your in your area because because doing a tsi project a timber stand improvement project is great for a year or two but if you don't maintain it with fire uh five or six years later you're you're going right back in and doing all that same work over again so so it's uh it's 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 uh it's chainsaw and drip torch not one or the other yeah and they're and and they're great you know organizations it's like 25 dollars a year to to be a part of it and you participate in a burn or two and then you can have folks come to your property and help you do a burn so it's it's a pretty cool organization that i really i really hope gains some steam yeah yeah that's neat Mm -hmm. that's neat well, I know you're. I know you're a busy man, and uh, especially during turkey season, everybody's everybody's emailing you, calling for Mr. Oakley, and get that guy on the phone. Yep. Um, but we do appreciate you taking the time to come in, and I definitely learned some things today too. So, uh, anytime I can get some more knowledge or other viewpoints and and things like that, so yeah, I appreciate no, this that. has been this yeah. has been good. And uh, if anybody has questions or, or things like that, you know, you can always reach out to us on our social media platforms and things like that, and I can pass them along or, you know, um, wouldn't be that hard to, to nope. email the MDC, you yeah, know, if nope. you got questions and, and they try to get to them. So, Feel um, free. Yeah. Just shoot me an email. I'm happy yeah. to talk to, to yeah. folks that, that have a, a similar passion. You know, yes. A lot of times... You know, you said, I'm not sure I'd want to be in your shoes as far as we've got a, a very enthusiastic user base. But I, I, I try to flip it and think of it the other way. You know, these are people who are passionate. They want they want the same thing as me. Yeah. Um, we need to, we need to you know, work yeah. together to, to do what's what's important because ultimately I, I need turkey hunters more than turkey hunters need me. Um, so, yeah. So I'm happy to talk. Um, no doubt. Feel free to reach out. No doubt. Well, hopefully we're, we're on the mend. We'll get this thing under control. So. Yeah. Um, we're all working towards the same goal. I can promise you that. Pat, me and you should go up to 
up north and on your property and do a brood survey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you need more people doing those surveys? You always can use more information. Um, luck- I've yeah. never heard of it until a few weeks ago. Yeah. Luckily, Missouri has, has had one of the longest running brood surveys and one of the, the most well um, participated in brood surveys. You know, I think last year we had, you know, eyes on 75,000 turkeys, you know, for our brood survey. So uh, other states are, are, awesome. are very envious of that. Yeah. But yeah that's more, cool. The more the better. Let's do a brood survey. Yeah. I like it. Well, appreciate it again, and uh, thanks for coming. And and uh, guess you're heading back to back to home. Headed back. Do some more studying. Got some, uh, yeah, got some do phone some calls more, to make yeah, along the way. Yeah, so I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank Absolutely. you. Yeah, thanks yeah, for having me. All good stuff. Yep. Um, do you want to do? <laughs> <laughs> we can. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. If you guys like this, make sure to leave us a rating down below. Uh, we got plenty of social media outlets. You can give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube. Check them all out and give us a follow. Awesome. See ya. <laughs>